Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us, the Sleepy Time crew of gamers, because this heat needs to go away. Truth. So sleepy. I am your host, Game Goblin, of course. Sitting alongside me are two of the trio of badassery. Kazarkan, the Lord Dragon. And Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. And we are going to rile things up. I- I'm trying to ready. Fight! Fight! So, what'd you guys get for initiative? I- I'm not much. Okay. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for sleepy time to break away from like my brain. Anyway, we're going to go into combat, and this episode is going to be how we three GMs. Not only instigate combat in our roleplay sessions, but how we change it up from time to time to make it more interesting. We're and going to open for you our cabinet of spices. Our spice things up in combat. Our spicy combat. <laughs> That's going to be the episode title. I'm putting that on the title. It's going to be spicy combat. Mm. <laughs> a little paprika, some chive. And then a big old dash of cayenne pepper. Fuck you, ghost pepper, straight up. <laughs> Not in season right now. It's always in season in my kitchen. <laughs> Alright, so I'm going to kick off this episode by going, how do I make combat more interesting for my players since I am, of course, the old bastard here with the most GM experience? How do I keep them on their toes? Well, we've already done an episode where I've done palette swapping on different things, such as the color-coded dragons, where I'd swap out one energy type for another energy type. They'd be like, oh, we're fighting a red dragon, and suddenly the dragon breathes lightning instead of fire. And they're like, hey, wait, what? And I'm like, aha, uh-huh, it's still balanced. Still by the book. All I did was swap out energy types or little things like that. One of the other things I do is, uh, when I do combat, of course, I'll introduce something that is abstract to the combat encounter and even Thoric agrees with me that the players set the standard as to whether combat's going to be lethal or non-lethal. Uh, such as the case we were in one combat, and you were there for that, Kaz, where we were fighting against a guy in uh, Star... not Starcraft. Starfinder. Yes. We were fighting a Starfinder, and I offered to give the enemy a chance to surrender. And people were like, I'll just kill him anyway. And I'm like, I might be chaotic evil, but we set the standard for combat, and they're more likely to kill us if we just kill them all willy-nilly, and Thoric is like, yeah, that's pretty much true. If you walk around just leaving a trail of blood, the enemies are going to come at you full force. And this is something that on the GM side I also included. Sometimes I will just have a win scenario in the combat session, you know, like if 12 orcs attack the party, 7 of those orcs die, more than 50% of their numbers in one round have vanished. The orcs know that they're facing overwhelming odds Shit, they're just gonna run. <laughs> Fuck this shit out of It makes combat more interesting if the enemies have realistic responses. So, you, you might run into some dude who's like a drunk at the bar, decides to initiate combat, and they get to a fist fight with said drunk, 
And maybe the drunk says, hey, you're pretty fucking tough, let me buy you a drink. Yeah, bam, in the middle of combat, it stops. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bam, in the middle of combat, it stops, but suddenly the drunk goes from heel to face. And some players don't know how to respond to this, because usually combat is like, it's me or them. Mm-hmm. So adding in strange little variables where the combat will end under a certain auspice, like a number of uh, opponents die in a certain round, or the enemy uses a is a complete klutz. Like, it is hard to kill an enemy when they're constantly dropping their sword or tripping over themselves. You know, like, you get this big badass knight who walks up and he's like, I challenge you to a duel. I have to face the toughest people in all the land, you know, to let the world know that I'm the greatest mercenary. The mercenary gets in there and he, like, just loses his shit. Like, his armor's not buckled correctly because he doesn't have a squire. You see, I don't know, it is just my experience with the groups I've had, most of them would just be like, alright, I, I coup de gras him. I'm like, that's not the point! Or That's the not only, the point. The only way I've had to deal with that specific situation where you've got someone who it's made to be a fight that they can choose not to, you know, slaughter in, and nine times out of ten they're going for the slaughter. That's most players. That's, that's why I'm a bit more selective about my groups. A bit. It's my right. Yeah. I think I impressed Thoric uh, in the... So, the Cidery folks are all run, are in, in a game, and the GM uh, basically gives me the situation like, you walk down there and dude, the chick's father walks in. Well, guess what? I'm the Diplomancer. Look, clearly I have two good intentions. I was told there were rats. I am not seeing any. And frankly, I think your daughter had other plans for me. So with that, I will take my leave. I have no intention of remaining. I am a fucking scholar. I was attempting to check her over for bites from the rats. You know, the fleas could spread the bubonic plague. I'm a doctor, sir. (laughs) I'm a cleric, I swear. I'm a cleric, I swear. In training, but still a cleric. Yeah, but basically, like, instead of, you know, pulling out lethal force or anything, it's just... Look, I don't want to fight you. I have no reason to fight you. I'm sorry that this makes me look bad, but believe what you will. I I also like pulling out, like, surprise maneuvers on the group. Like, say I I set up a scenario, they're fighting, say, 12 orcs, because everybody's like, oh, you know what? Actually, we're going to make it something people want to beat up. It's 12 elves. (laughs) They're in the forest, they're traveling through, a dozen elves jump out, they start attacking the the group, and so the adventurers... The adventurers are having a hard time. They manage to get through half of the elves, but what they don't realize is that these elves are like Vietnamese people I was just in 1973, say, and like another six just pop out of the ground. You know, that are lying in wait for the first uh, bastion of elves to pull the group further into a trap. So now they're like being attacked from both sides in a pincer maneuver. It's like the players would be like, "Oh, oh my god, this shit just got more dangerous." Not a fan. Not, 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 a, fan. not a fan. Yeah, pulling in tactics into a thing on the GM side can really make a encounter go from, oh, easy XP to, oh my god, run away. Although, we were all part of that group of, there's a what looks like a mirror on a branch in the distance. Wait, I'm gonna shoot it! Dunk! And then you always have that one player who just wants to show off. Well, there, uh, one of the things that does turn me off, though, and we've been through this uh, multiple times, though, is the superpower of gun. Yep. yep. Uh, we've we've done a whole episode on that. Shoot it. We, we did a whole episode on that. There was, like, one situation. Me and Kazarkan were actually the point men on this, 
Move the two with the most viable skill set to bypass the challenge just with skill rolls. Everybody else is sitting there bored off of their tears and decides to start shooting at the computer where we're, uh... We're, we're actually trying to hack. We're, we're trying to hack a computer and people decide to try to use gun to hack a computer. Gun doesn't hack computer. Gun endangers your allies. Shut the fuck up and quit shooting. Those kinds of players make things a bit more difficult, however. You can still make combat interesting towards players who like to shoot everything with their bow or their gun. Or you can always piss off the GM and the super spice, the thing you use on rare occasions. D4 trolls. <laughs> Actually, I think the, the super spice for me, like the, the one item on my spice rack that I can bring into a game that will always make combat more interesting is environmental hazards. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, fighting on a cliffside. Fighting on a peat bog. Uh, during a thunderstorm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Because then you can legit random roll, say you've got the battle map in front of you. You can just be like, alright, this is um, 1 through 10 on my red die, and this is 1 through 12 on my blue die. Roll it. A lightning strikes there on random. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you can set up a D6 uh, random timer on when the next strike is going to hit. Mm -hmm. So it adds that element of randomness to the table that might add extra damage to either the enemy or the players. And, and of course, it's fair as fuck. You're rolling him in front. It's like, look, this is your timer. What's going to happen well, when this goes down is something's going to hit the ground. Well, you don't have to show them the timer. You don't you, have to. You can just be ran like even having having dice and ignoring them, or having blank dice just so they hear something roll, and then being like, all right, it's this one here that's not going to strike anybody. I'm gonna roll some dice and make some shit up for effect. Yep. 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 Oh, fighting in a fog. That's always one of my favorites. Fighting in a fog is great, especially when the enemy has a way to pierce through the fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely adds difficulty. Um, anywhere that, like, Blasphemous mentioned, proper tactics, right? Yeah, proper uh, tactics. I, I've heard combat. stories of you taking a bunch of troglodytes and making them yeah. just fucking murder -thon because they actually used their they actually environment used, to their advantage. They used the environment to their advantage. They would pop out of the water, fire an attack, and then use their second move action to dive back underwater. The Bam. players were screwed. They, a couple of them were, like the Power Gamer especially, was getting pissed because he had... If a Power Gamer was standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with a monster, he had everything in his favor, but now the fight was not in his favor, and, you, and there was no way he could bend the rules to be in his favor. Oh. He was livid. <laughs> or, or even better, aerial assaults. Aerial assaults always add another flavor to a combat, definitely. Oh yeah, but you anytime you add the third dimension to a combat, you add a lot of variables that players have to realize, both good, bad, and sideways. Aerial mm -hmm. assault is a very good example. Also, underwater assault, same idea. Yeah, different methodology, but same idea. And I mean, really, when it comes down to it, having a battle map pre-prepared. Is always good because then you can for me you write out your first three turns of what they're all gonna do. You give them a either retreat, suicide, or vanish uh, objective. Have more than half the crew gets killed in these first three turns. Guess what? The rest of them are ninja vanish. Thanks, bye. Or you're fighting a bunch of goblins and more than half of them get destroyed in three turns, and one of them goes El Kaboom. Yeah. Um... I know it's a risky thing to say in today's political climate, but anything that has explosives strapped to it that decides that the best way to win the battle is to run up and hug the player characters and explode 
So, yeah, Suicide Bombers totally changed the battle tactics. People were like, no, get away from me, get away from me. You see a pack of kobolds running at somebody wearing bomb vests, and the players will freak the hell out most mm -hmm. of the time. And, you know, clever tactics, they could just be fake vials. The whole point is to get them to run away instead of having to fight, which sure. is a totally kobold thing to do. It is a totally kobold thing to do, and yeah, definitely, enemies are going to learn from the encounter, so if they're attack the player characters are attacking one particular uh, group or tribe or nation or whatever... Those who are on the sidelines far enough away to watch or see or spy on the events are going to report back. They're like, hey, this is the combat methods that these guys keep using to win against us. We need to change our tactics. So we, we're going to change our tactics to fight against them. It's, we're not currently at war with all the people that these tactics originally were meant for. It's, it's totally viable. Usually, though, in D&D, &D, uh, combat is a microcosm. 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 Chasm. Where every combat is its own self-contained thing where nothing changes over time, but in a more episodic campaign, yes, definitely changing the way the enemy fights. If they learn that, you know, so-and-so is their healer... Guess who's now a prime target? Who's going to be the prime target? You take out the... Like, this is standard tactics on the player side, is to take out their healer first. Nope. And fighting against the cleric is just a pain in the ass. But if the enemy can take down the player's cleric... They have just nullified 25% of the party's DPS, and, and healing, and tanking. That counts for a lot, especially when that 25% means that nobody else can heal. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, or one of the other things to do is, really it's as a GM, you gotta kind of formulate this ahead of time, but have them fight in a null magic zone, see how they do with that. Oh, have boy. them fight in a place where magic's almost the only thing that will yeah, and, and forcing this tactic change like that is a very useful tool. It's a tool that can be used, and it's a story point. Because those are typically what you do with that kind of extreme, either all magic or no magic. You have to be careful, though, with, uh, in implementing a null magic zone into your fights. Because players can see this as you're intentionally... Sabotage. Yeah, you're, you're intentionally sabotaging their combat capabilities. And, you know, the same sort of thing goes with swarms, too. Like, oh, I'm a big fighter, I'm going to hit it with my stick. There's a thousand of them, how do I hit it? it, it it's the same token, and smart players will realize this and figure out some other way to be useful. Per people who... Divas. Divas. And divas. Divas and power gamers will take it as an affront, because now you're messing with their, sh their feng shui. Yeah, Whatever that may be. You're messing with their shtick. You're yeah. messing with my numerical feng shui. Oh, man, you guys remember, we were doing Kingmaker. Oh, yeah, boy. Uh, and we had to go and get those berries. But we were fighting swarms of, who were they, little spiders? That was by the book. I know, it was by the book. But remember, we were like, we don't have anything that can do mass damage to swarms. But there was still the diva who was like, I'm going to hit him with the flat of my sword. Yeah. Hit him with the flat of my sword and squish him. Is that... That's the same one that ended my character, wasn't it? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Possibly. Probably it was either that, characters. I mean, it, no, no. It was either that player or the player who shall not be named. A, a certain, one of those two. It, uh, the one with the flat of the sword, I believe, was a certain uh, dark white individual. Got it. That's what I thought. Is that the I politically was correct? Lecce. They're Moss Lecce. Yeah, is that the politically correct way to say that now, or is, has it changed already in the last week? 
don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out in the comments. Okay. I'm but, sure uh, if there are any. Yeah. But yeah, it, uh, it, it's just one of those things where you run into that. I had a thing where uh, they ran across a magic pot, a potted plant, that out of the bottom it would dispense um, spider swarm. And then they broke it. And because in the in the way my game works, you break a magic item, it's either going to set it all off or it's fancy fireworks that do nothing because magic is being released. Well, in this one, it set it off. So it, it ended up dispensing six swarms of spiders. Mind you, they're what? CR one-third? That's still six different swarm entities. That's still a CR two overall. Yeah. And they had one magic item that would do a big area of effect attack and used it. Used a big level item to get rid of some swarms that they could have just disengaged from. But it's one of those things, you gotta you gotta throw curveballs. That's the biggest thing to spice up combat. Yeah, curveballs is the biggest thing to throw into a combat. Do something unexpected. Yeah. And, you know... On, like, the thespian side of things, the more you can draw them into the experience of combat, so immersion is also a very powerful tool for making combat fun. Absolutely. Right? Um, allowing your players to do some wacky thing. I know you've got that uh, teamwork feat that you built into your game. Yeah, where they can pull each other out of the next round, but then they don't get to use that power for a number of turns, and then the person who was used on, um, they lose their next turn, basically. You're transferring your turn into the current turn, is so basically what it means. So can work together, but they have to attack a single target within 30 feet. See, and, like, teamwork like that allows for the players to contribute something unexpected. Mm -hmm. But the GM can do the same. In a similar way, again, most GMs will run simpler if they're running mass combat, so they've got, what, one initiative for all the monsters? Or Typically. one initiative for one type of monsters, if there's three or four types? Yeah, like the last time I did a mass combat, I had like the archers on one initiative count, the cavalry was on a different initiative count, the uh, infantry was on a different initiative count. I had basically each subdivision of the army on a different count. Yeah, and this works just as well against players as for them. Uh, but theatrically, you know, you can do both retroactive and current tense of what's going on. Uh, one of my GMs has a very strong propensity for watching what happens with the dice, seeing how badass it looks, and then describing something full of anime bullshit. <laughs> anime level bullshit, I should say. So it's this big engaging moment that all just happened past tense. Or you can get players and GMs can, you know, I've seen you, Goblin. Uh-oh. You've pulled a lot of crazy things. I, I want a kitten. Why do you want a kitten? You wouldn't hurt a kitten, would you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah? yeah? Yeah, okay, so for those listening, the um, scenario is I didn't really want to be there, kind of, sort of. <laughs> so I made an intelligence-based barbarian in 5th edition. So This was a birthday game. It was, it was literally a one-day oh and only It was gun. a one-shot game. A character one you, you actually had to create. Because uh, 5e is an edition where you don't. Get yeah, so I, I basically I made a barbarian and I just went completely bass-ackwards with the build. 
And so it was an intelligence-based barbarian who fought by piecemeal combat, so I would make cold shots for, like, hamstringing or going for tendons in specific areas. Just chop my enemy down slowly and then, you know, finish him off instead of just one big mega, me, Namrock! And <laughs> the quest giver guy asked us what we wanted, and I said I wanted a kitten. Which is completely off fucking rocker, right? He's like, what do you want? I want a helmet. I want a sword. I want a kitten. Then we get into uh, the second half of the one shot, which was a gladiatorial arena. Yeah. And I'm fighting against the guy. And of course, since I'm an intelligence-based barbarian, I'm not doing so hot. And as the guy is basically getting ready and gloating over his win, I pull the kitten out of my satchel, hold it up in front of him. I'm like, you wouldn't hurt a kitten, would you? And it made him pause long enough for me to go for a vital strike. <laughs> because it was, like, the GM looked at me, she's like, the fuck? I'm like, you wondered why I wanted the kitten? Now you know. <laughs> Not only did I make the enemy pause and go, what the fuck? You paused and asked what the fuck. No. Ah. Yeah. And this was, the, this was the example. You were doing called shots. You were doing smart fighting. You were making efforts to whittle your opponent down to reduce their mobility, to do whatever. Yeah. Which is both, which is something that both players and GMs can do, but it is perhaps it best to really at least communicate first. It made it a lot easier for you guys to fight that giant when I nullified each of his legs, one per turn, and took out his swinging arm. Yeah. One limb at a time. Bip, 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 bip. Made that but giant. Just like, like having a grapple monkey in the group, it slows things down if you're not prepared. That's why. You now, basically, all I'm doing is adding negatives. Yeah, I'm essentially a a bard without music. I'm just adding negatives to my opponent by <laughs> disabling them. You made your daggers sing with his blood. I <laughs> well, yeah, because I would take out one leg, and now he's got a negative penalty to his movement. I take out his other leg; he can't move. Then I take out his arm that he's swinging the club with. Now he's got to swing with his offhand arm. That's giving him a negative to actually uh, hit. To hit, to land, to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's basically, he can't move and he's got negatives to hit. So every turn I'm just stacking negatives on the enemy. Yeah. It doesn't slow things down. It just adds well one extra number to add. Yeah, when it comes down to that. But sometimes when you get everyone trying to do that, and then you, got, you end up having people argue about the negative rules, and then you got to pull out the little chart and say, all right, according to the book, and this is how we all agree to run it, it's a negative this to aim for the head. This for an arm. Strangely enough, when I do crap like this with a character, everybody else is still thinking about their characters exceptionally in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. Like, I just roll my d20 to hit. And roll my damage dice and pass turn. And versus people like me, and I don't know if you've seen this since, but what I will do with one of my characters, I've got this 20-foot whip. I'm going to grab him by the ankle... Flip him, <laughs> pull it out from under him, and now he's falling on his ass. And if he's still attached, I'm going to swing him at another motherfucker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and like he remembers the the Starfinder game because I based that character off of a because it was Starfinder, and I took Icon as my uh, background. Background. So I was a actor, MMA fighter kind of thing, but I started in pro wrestling, mm-hmm. and so that's what I would do in my, in my combat rounds. Is like. I go to choke slam the enemy, or I do a flying elbow, or a hurricane right. rana. You know, I'm just doing crazy shit. So I'm having sweet fun chin with it. music. Sweet chin music. And <laughs> the, on the other hand, though, a GM can do the same thing where they have some NPC who has mm-hmm. an unusual fighting style. You know, watch a few Muay Thai movies. 
you yeah. know, watch uh, some Tony Jaw, then bring in a monk who fights like Tony Jaw, and that makes combat more interesting because suddenly you've got this fighter who just basically floats or runs up walls and does other crazy-ass monk shit, and you're like, I've seen it in real life. There's a movie where they don't use wires. Just saying. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and it's, it's how you bring life to combat as both a player and as a GM that brings it together. It's true, yeah. And, you know, yes. Let the player set the standard, give them the option to back down, or be merciful, or all that jazz, and players are still going to do what they're going to do. There's nothing we can really do beyond that besides give them the opportunity. Yeah, I still love players who decide that they're such murder hobos that there'll be like a quest in a ditch lying face down who needs medical attention and they'll just kill him anyway. Oh, well, my character would put him out of their misery. Or you could actually... This is such a deep and dark, bleak world. Such a dark world. Let's put or you could actually place. help the motherfucker. No, no, I don't want to do that. Well, how much HP is he worth? None, because you didn't do his quest. No, oh, well, you know what? Well, he's not worth any XP because he's helpless and prone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not an experience. It's a thing. Just, yeah. yeah. It, yeah it, that was a lesson for me as a GM to learn, because it would have actually made the next combat for the player characters a lot easier. That the, mm -hmm. the guy in the ditch had quest-relevant information that would have made the next battle a little bit more tenable. Yep. But, no, they just had to off him. You know? Kill the messenger. Smart. Same like, right. smart. Well, I guess the players aren't going to know about those fucking trolls in barrels now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's always a surprise, too. It's like, take tips from the devious shit people pull in one game, the trolls in barrels being one of them, and unleash that on your players in another game. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Barrel trolls really change the tide of combat. Like, I had one group, they did. They... Uh, they chopped trolls up and went through this long, drawn-out magical process of putting troll chunks in barrels, so little five-gallon mead barrels, and then lobbed them over the walls of the enemy uh, stronghold. The barrels would break, break the enchantments, and the chunks of trolls would regenerate into full-on trolls and just wreak havoc from inside the bastion. Because all of a sudden, trolls. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, that's just... Hideous. So I took notes as to like the process they did and everything, and then later on, there's a group running along, and there's a, just a simple falling item trap. You know, and you see the item come crashing down. If it hit, the, the fun part is, if the trap hits players, it's like a D6 falling damage from the item. Mm -hmm. Really negligible, but if you get out of the way, the item lands on a hard surface, cracks the barrel, and boom, it's the troll. And there's your problem. And there's your trap. So if the barrel hits a player, the trap doesn't really go off. It just drops the item, but if you get out of the way, you're like, oh, I avoid the falling barrel. Then the trap goes off, and I'm like, ha, falling barrel trap. That makes combat more interesting when you put one or two of these in a, a fucking room. The group is fighting 1d12 elves, and a barrel falls, the player's like, I jump out of the way, and you're like, well, now there's 1d12 elves and a troll. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise, motherfucker! Yeah, take, take the devious crap people use in one game, take notes on that devious crap, and then unleash it against players. Because then they're like, wait, what? And you're like, hey, I've seen other players do this before. The GM said it was cool, so it's in my game too now. Neener, neener. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, that's another thing that is an interesting way to spice up combat. Traps. A smart set of opponents, kobolds especially. The kobolds are notorious for this. Mm -hmm. Will draw players towards traps that they're aware of and make them trigger it or 
they'll step on the plate, and when they leave it, because it's now a it's a double release pressure plate. Yeah. And when they step off of it, the trap actually triggers, and they just dive out of the way. Which, I've had stuff like that happen. Uh, there was one where we actually did kabolds, and there was a pressure plate on the floor. And the fun part is, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the the trap was a booby trap that was not a trap. You step on it, you hear a click. You freeze. You freeze. So during combat, the fighter goes charging forward with his uh, sword and board. He gets close to it. He steps on the square you have marked on the battle map on the GM side. He hears an audible click. And the fighter's like, crap! And it was all a deception by the Kabolds. So it's just a click plate? It was just a click plate. (laughs) (laughs) That is brilliant! Yeah. I love it! Yeah, so the fighter, he he just stops right on. He's like, dude, we need the rogue over here now. Disable this trap. And the rogue, you know, disables it. He finds that it's just a stick underneath a stone slab. (laughs) Goes click. You step on the slab, it snaps the stick, makes an audible noise. And That's it. The fighter stops doing anything because he's too terrified that if he gets off of the pressure plate, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> psychological warfare. It was psychological warfare. And kobolds are great at it. Exactly. Kobolds are fantastic. Nothing like burning oil at your fucking cave entrance to tell adventurers to go away. Well, adventurers, solicitors, and lawyers. Mm. And Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, yeah. Oh, and don't forget about the Mormons. That's what the spring trap is for. Yep. Yep, yep. They're always they're always the ones that set those off for some reason. Oh, and then there's all kinds of other fun. Like you can look at the Battle of Endor from Star Wars and see yeah. how to do that. Where they they literally were pulling them in, and oh, here comes a bunch of logs down a hill, trips them all up, and crushes a few. Oh, oh hey, look! Nice. There's, there's the two swinging logs, just crunch, taking out a piece of high technology. Yep, because it's not built for that. <laughs> the strongest military in the galaxy can't take on a bunch of teddy bears. With trees and rope. Yep. <laughs> well, they were doing pretty good until the Death Star exploded, and then their morale dropped, and they were all just running. I mean, yes. Debris from that thing. Morale no, landed in the ocean because I saw the, the sequel trilogies. Don't exist. I know. I know. I just say it. Now, uh, that's, this is a good point, though. Morale. Goblin alluded to it earlier on. Right? Yeah. We just lost half our dudes, and it's only been like 18 seconds. We gotta get the fuck out of Dodge! Or, man, I'm really fucked up, but I can still live. I'm gonna run, because, like, everyone else is dead. But it's not worth dying here. That's basic. Uh, and again, like I mentioned at the very entrance of the podcast, is reality needs to take kind of a seat in the gaming table, along with everything else, along with the fantasy and, you know, the... The science stuff. Science fiction and all that stuff is a little dose of reality. And I don't know anybody in the modern world, no matter how badass they are, who's going to go, well, I'm going to fight until I die, unless it's for a cause they truly believe in. And without that cause, right? Yeah, without that cause. You know, there are good examples of this. Um, What was it? Uh, The children quandary that you gave me. Yeah. So... They're a bunch of strong fighters at the front, and then working their way back, they get slowly older, more infirm, more broken, until they can no longer really fight. And then you're left with the quandary of a whole bunch of babies. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good reason to fight to the death, because you're defending your home, you're defending your family. You're you're fighting for the future of your tribe. But if it's going to be like 1d6 bandits show up to rob you in the middle of the night, you just wipe out three of them... 
they're gonna be like, fuck this, your money's not worth our time. Yeah, most, right? almost anybody who's a fucking thief is not going to stay around and be like, well, that bag of gold pieces, which I don't know how many is in there, is worth dying for. No, most people are gonna be like, fuck this and run. <laughs> Especially if three of their homies just got wiped out in under six seconds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Almost any living creature with sentience is not going to fight until the very bitter end. It's and even players, feral beasts don't do that. Yeah, even feral beasts, you know, will give up at a certain point. Most players don't seem to remember this little facet of reality. They fight until the very end. Or, man, one of the other things you can do uh, to spice up combat is you start throwing in things like golems or mechanical things you fight. They will have a point where you can do damage and just break it and they just stop working. You don't take it all the way down. True, true. You know, you can, you can break the surroundings. That's even another one, speaking of environmental. Think about all these massive spells you're doing. Fireball, fucking thunderbolts, I don't know, fucking acid splash. You could easily, if you're fighting in a forest, be taking down the trees, or you set the trees on fire at that point. The strange part is most GMs, and I do agree with this, I, I totally agree with the sentiment on both the player and the GM side, but most GMs, I feel, do not have the proper experience in such things. Like, like dealing with, with destructible environments. Yeah, dealing yeah. With, I did this in one game where I had um, the capacity to teleport things, and so I just teleported one inch away from some nearby electrical poles, and used telekinesis to move the wires towards the enemy to shock the crap out of them, and the GM suddenly, like, his brain shut down, and it's like, dude, we are fighting in a suburban environment. I'm going to use what's around me. There's an electrical grid everywhere. And he's like, uh, 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 uh. I understand where you're coming from. Oh, yeah. I totally agree, but most GMs, they need so, to practice So here's that. the way I did it is, I started off easy mode, right? The the players are using fire against scarecrows in a cornfield, right? It's basically a giant corn maze. And, um... Fire in a corn maze. Everything, anyone... <laughs> uh, so all the corn, because there's like... Uh, murders of crows, which acted like tornadoes. They they pushed all the corn down into like a, a fucking circle, right? Like a crop circle. Crop circle. Well, then the magic user, which was a little sentient doll, could make the corn grow again. So he was making it grow, and the players kept lighting it on fire because they love fire magic. Fire! So now you've got choking smoke, which is starting to throw everyone into negatives. And then you get beyond that, you now have a danger zone that's moving. You could totally be using other kind of spells like, uh, what is it? Gust Great water. Gust oh, wind. gust of wind. You can totally knock down a tree with that. Hydraulic it's, push would also be a good one for, uh, environmental changes. Yeah. Oh yeah, now the whole, everywhere is wet and, you know, say you used it to push the enemy away. Right? Mold earth. Oh yeah. Anything that you can use to manipulate your terrain, and players will, they will, they will. Especially if you've got like an earth elemental druid. <laughs> Stone yeah. the flesh. Oh yeah. Not only is it fun, it's horrible. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially on a mountainside. Yeah. Yeah. Why does it look like Nurgle's left butt cheek? Oh, there's nothing like uh, firing a slab of stone from a catapult and having the wizard go stone the flesh on it right before it gets ejected. And now all of a sudden you have this flesh lump that's flying through the air. Oh god, freaking... what's that one spell where you can rot uh, the, the flesh? It, it's not something you can use on like creatures and something. It's, oh, yeah. I, I know the one you're talking about. It's a necromancy spell. Yeah. yeah. Oh god. 
Yeah, nothing like demoralizing your enemy with uh, rotting chunks of flesh flying through the air. This mm. is how, like, one of the ways biological warfare what happened? Diseased cows. Look it up. It's real. Yes, but if or, you magically create flesh, it's not going to be diseased automatically. Which yes, which is why you... Spell. Which is exactly where that second necrotic spell is to rot that flesh, and now you've got a disease ball See, flying you could always do what the Mongols did, where they just stewed people and then launched the pots of stewed human into the <laughs> fucking city. Yeah, that yeah. would be very dis demoralizing. And Absolutely. any sentient... You know, if they're smart enough to build walls, they're smart enough to understand what happens when something is not like it's naturally supposed to. But it's also, uh, and we haven't covered this, but it is also our responsibility as GMs when we're spicing up combat to set the standard. So, like, if a fight breaks out, 1d6 bandits do actually get to jump on the players and knock them down into knocked out KO'd stage or whatever. The bandits don't kill the characters. They're not out to murder them. They're just out to steal their stuff, tie them up, and leave them on the side of the road. You get on with your life. Them. Or if the uh, enemy capital is actively campaigning because the players have gotten so powerful and they're going on a spree or whatever, set the standard by going, you know, they're not out to kill you. They're out to capture you and put you on trial. Yeah. So, you yeah. Know, set the standard as the GM that not everything is out to kill the players because that's one of the things about D&D, uh, &D, especially... A dungeon crawl adventure is the GM, especially if they're running a module, is setting the standard that everything is out to absolutely murder the crap out of the players. And it's not always. It's not, and set the standard early on, you know, let it be known that X enemy is only out to rob them or take their horses or put them on trial or something that does not involve just murder the crap out of the players and call it new character time. Right, uh, a good example, right? Uh, wanted for trial thing. If you can have a knight or anyone, like a bounty hunter, they're going to announce why. They're going to announce you are wanted for trial. Come yeah. with me please, and if not, we'll do this the hard way, and you're coming with me anyways. Yeah, and bounties, uh, traditionally, in a vast majority of the cases, the bounty was always higher for bringing in your target alive. Than dead. So the person could be put on trial. Usually it was like, you know, anywhere between 75% to 25%. So let's just say half. You get about half the value for bringing in someone dead. You'd be like, oh, well, you, you killed them. Here's half the money. It's worth more to a bounty hunter who wants the full fucking Monty of that cash to capture somebody alive. And if you got four player characters, they're worth a thousand gold pieces apiece or 500 individually dead. This brother's gonna hire some help. This guy's gonna hire some help. And he's gonna take him alive he's because gonna be he's like, gonna set himself up for life. He's gonna be like, well, damn it, one of them's an elf, so throwing a bunch of sleeping powder at him ain't gonna work. Yeah, yeah and they're going to be smart about it. Like, they're, going, yeah. they're definitely gonna be smart about it. They're going to observe the players, watch how they fight, set up their plan of attack beforehand, and, and then, fucking decimate. But if they get to split that one thousand or 4,000 uh, gold piece bounty four ways, they're still making a king's ransom. For one dude. For one dude each. Yeah, so a bounty hunter getting three friends to help him out? Yeah, definitely. Totes. Like, even, even, if there is something like a bounty hunter's guild, 
it could exist. It's just a story thing, just as much as the as Adventurers Guild. As like, uh, say, the, the Guards Guild. Or the Adventurers Guild. Or an Adventurers Guild, yeah, Both could apply. Or better yet, you even have adventurers who half their adventures are bounty hunting. Yeah, yeah, and it's not... We and... need you to go and find Somdul the Necromancer and bring him in on charges of raising the king's fucking great aunts to torture him on his birthday. It was a rude prank. Honestly, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Just saying, it was it was hilarious, right? But it's still it's a job, and people will take their jobs as seriously. And for high stakes, high risk. This is the problem with adventuring. Adventurers can get rich real fucking hot quick, but they also can die just about as easily. So yeah, so it's up to set the standard, especially when it comes to the risk and reward. And make it known, like, especially in, like, civilized lands, if the players are doing, say, a game... If you're doing Pathfinder and they're in, like, uh, Absalom or Cheliax, you know, it's a civilized place. The law says you can't just wantonly run around and murder people in the street if they challenge you to a fight. Mm-hmm. So if the players get into a duel with somebody and they kill them... They're now the bad guy. Yep, because they broke the agreement of law. Mm-hmm. Oh man, speaking of civilized areas, urban combat is a thing, as you mentioned before. But Absolutely. there's so many ways you can. They trick them down a dead end with a secret door. Now you've lost your court. Uh, you you end up fighting and you push in a fucking open pit from where they're doing construction or something. And now they've got the players cornered. Or you know. They know when the, when the the cabbage cart is driving by, so you can skirt under it, around it, or something, and they have Ooh. to deal with it. Or you can only the the pushing your opponent in front of a subway train. That too. <laughs> like the city we, guard doesn't approve of you, so if you're gonna fight, you gotta try and get out of it before the city guard shows up. Yeah, right. And, and remember, if you're doing a modern day campaign and you're making combat interesting, the players don't need to outrun the cops. They need to outrun Motorola. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. true, though. It's totally true. It's true. Or, man, even a futuristic campaign. You're fighting in a space station. Confined okay. space like that. Confined oh. spaces. And plus, you know, there's always... And I'm the asshole who breaks this rule because I usually, in space, do course, uh, close quarters combat build characters as much as possible. Mm. Because, again, crap spaces. Crap spaces and the fact that if the wall gets punched too hard, there goes our air. Well, that's why I have a spare oxygen tank, a shotgun, and skill in Krav Maga. <laughs> that's why my character is almost always in a space suit. I'm going to plug the hole with my opponent. But, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, yeah, space definitely has its own environmental hazards. Absolutely. Um, and there's so much you can do to spice up combat and that and make it more than just my superpowers gun. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. Or, yeah, like the... Enemy realizes they're going to be getting killed, you know, in like a couple of turns that the player is fighting to kill them. And instead, you know, like, especially if you know somebody's coming after you with intent to kill and they're going to do the job like a player character will, what do you do? You try to sabotage them and take them down best as possible by like opening the doors and venting the air or turning off the radiation shielding. It adds that other layer to combat. It spices it up, you know, if... The group is fighting a bunch of guys, and one dude turns to the other and gives him a nod. And then the guy who's just nodded to runs to the front panel of the ship and turns off the radiation shielding because they know they're going to die anyway. 
At least we're taking you down with. Or if, like, you can totally go bigger. Say you're doing ship-to-ship combat, right? Oh, boy. We know it's hard to do, it's hard to do well. But if you can manage to set it up right, where, say, you're doing a moving through, the enemy decides to duck into an asteroid field. I know, putting millions... Never tell me the odds. Hundreds of things on the uh, board for a GM to keep track of his Including a potato. (laughs) But if you can do this and have, alright, we've come to the end of this round, now all the fucking rocks move. Right? And you can just have a sheet of plastic that just boop, 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 keep moving it along, right? But now you've got a bigger environmental hazard to worry about and movement in your ships. Absolutely. And, you know, space being space, there's nothing to stop that inertia. It's going to move. Mm-hmm. It's going to move. And explosions are bad. Very bad. Shockwaves are bad. Shockwaves, shockwaves are bad. Yes. Ca- most explosions cause shockwaves, which also makes them bad. Uh, speaking of explosions, Ooh. and one of our favorites here, of course, uh, in D20 Modern, C4. <laughs> With its 10-foot blast radius. I read a really great name for it that I'm going to use in character sometime, or in real life. I don't care. Mm. Angry Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it called Spicy Play-Doh. Yeah, I'm going to refer to it now as Angry Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Oh, and, man. and use of explosives in combat. Jesus. Use of explosives in combat... Especially in D&D, is very much dialed down, but if the enemy utilizes explosions, and this is another thing, too, that players, uh, if you want to spice up combat, will run into hook, line, and sinker, especially if they're fighting against the same group of enemies repeatedly, or even a new group. It's getting lured into a trap by a bunch of them taunting the players a second time, and they will literally run into a minefield to try to kill the enemy. Right. Again, kobolds, traps, this happens a lot. And kobolds like these. Players uh, especially hate this, I think, because it calls out one of the player weaknesses of the individual themselves or whatever. But yeah, go ahead, or I shall taunt you a second time. Exactly, but taunting the players and goading them into combat that is slanted against them, there's no one to blame but themselves. If they're fighting a pack of kobolds, like... Well, say the Shimmerskin Kabold clan has been fighting the group for a while because they've been traveling through their region, and they get into fight after fight after fight, and, you know, they're near the, the borders, and the Shimmerskins, they're not putting up with this shit much longer. They don't want these guys to go free because, you know, they've lost a lot of their valuable tribe members to these fucking pinkskins. And so at the very ass end of their territory, they set up a minefield of barrels filled with flaming oil, and then they get some, like, really brave shimmer skins who are going to stand in the middle of this fucking field and challenge the group to a combat and if the group runs in and suddenly the shimmer skins set the entire field on fire with the players with no fucking optionable way out in the middle of a fire field they are going to die they have the players have nobody to blame but themselves at that point is it cheesy for a gm to do yes but on the other hand is it realistic that the enemies would react this way also yes mm-hmm. this especially Especially the example you just gave, right? The Shimmerskin tribe has been fighting these motherfuckers for like a month or something. Yeah, They're tired of it. They've course, lost a yeah. good chunk of their their population, their mm-hmm. people, their workforce, their hunters, gatherers, defenders. Like, they're all going down. And if you can get one or three brave fucks who are willing to just... You know what? If I'm going to die, I'm going to die in service. Revenge is a hell of a motivator. Hell yeah, it is. 
And Hell players, yeah, it is. Players seem to forget that enemies, you know, especially intelligent enemies, can go out for revenge, and they will develop tactics that are extremely viable against the players. But if you can lure the player into running into a trap of their own volition... They, you've yeah, done half the battle. You've done half the battle. The funny part is, usually the player gets pissed, and then I look at them, and I'm like, you have nobody to blame but yourself. And, and they the, have to admit it. <laughs> they have they, to be like, God they, damn it, you're right. They're pissed at me because I lured them into a trap that is... It, there's no way out of it. They, they've, they're in the trap. They're going to die. But at the same token, they have nobody to blame but themselves for this action. They can blame me for setting it up, but ultimately the blame is theirs for walking into it. Right. And, you know, there are all... Intelligent enemies will also try to negotiate and plead. Right? They will, yes. They will. So, your, tri your, your war band of, si of 12 orcs goes in, gets waffle-stomped by these four humies... And they're like, you know what? It's not worth fighting you. If we surrender, will you spare us so that we can go back and feed our families? Uh, you know, Again, this is another thing where group players will be players, but... It is. Realistically, they will try. And your NPCs and intelligent enemies will try to bargain for their life if they, can, if they think they can communicate. Oh, man. Absolutely. I, I, I thought I wanted what while you were going on. Go for so, it. So, you've had the classic walk in and the trap sets off releasing a demon, but the trap is it's stuck in there with you. Yes. <laughs> so, then using, you know, whatever's going on, chaos ensues. That was a hilarious trap. It was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I remember that trap. That was nasty. And well played, sir. <laughs> Uh, we only saw the aftermath. We <laughs> but, did. <laughs> Damn but, so it, it so it sets off, and then it releases said demon, right? Because in order to release your buddies, you just cracked the seal that was holding it in. You just cracked the seal on that Baylor. Good and luck. And it's the second seal that was holding it in from getting all the way out. They break. Right. I mean, that that's one of those things where you can also set up for enemies. Say you're you're in a a cave that was sealed, and a dragon appears. You're fighting, all of a sudden, all oh, you guys have done enough damage with all these big explodey spells and throwing shit that now there's a cave opening, right? Like, just for some reason, the fucking roof lets loose in a the spot. There's a fucking exit. This dragon's like, alright, fuck you guys, I'm out of here, I want it out. Yeah. And this is also the same with, like, super intelligent. Um, and by super intelligent, I mean with an IQ over 90. Uh, creatures in your D&D world or your alien space uh, whatever mm -hmm. you, you get into some sort of grouping you know where they know that the players are dangerous the players have been against them or whatever and this is something that's been done player versus player and you can also do a GM versus player to make combat more interesting is have the enemies lure the players into say a dungeon but they've already cleared it out they've already sent in an army to take care of it and then after the players go in the dungeon they just start flooding it Close the door yeah. and flood. Wait about 12 hours. They should be deep enough in there now that there's no way out if we just start getting all of our wizards to go hydraulic push at the entrance. Just flush down or the entrance. Take out the dam that we built that's yeah, holding up the, the river and just flood it. Yeah. Brains of Castamere. Uh, Armies will do this. One of the we, saw this, we saw this in the Lord of the Rings, actually, actually where the Ents marched on Isengard. Screw the Ents. Bahubali was better. Yes, I said it. Bahubali was better. And I'll say it again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Because that's the way I work. And Kanapa is a great character. Great character. Well, well written, well scripted. But anyway, the enemies 
one of the things that was the spice of combat as we're going into it, we're getting there, is to add consequences for the player's actions. The players, oh. yeah, if the players are merciless douche waffles, walking across Stern. the landscape, murdering the shit out of everything. The enemy will not have as much uh, way to. Sympathize. Yeah. Or even then, you can have cities and towns start to shun them and be like, get the fuck out. Like, no, you have a reputation. You are not welcome here. Leave. Peacefully. Which especially please. when you've got someone who's playing the drunk where every time they're in town, they just get fucked up and decide to pick a fight with a town's person. Doesn't yeah. really matter who. Yeah, that's the player being a player. Which is why I put yeah. real world consequences in there. And, well, as a representative of the military, they got a talking to. Yeah, tra uh, for some reason, word of tra mouth always travels faster than the players. Mm -hmm. Always. It's not that hard. It's kind of like in real life. Same thing happens. But, again, add consequences for the players' actions. The more douche waffle they are, the more the world will respond in the same way. Which and, is, you know, again, bounty hunters. <laughs> now, some of the best stories have been this way, uh, like the Necromancer story. Yes. He was raising the undead to help out the people after a terrible plague. And he was basically doing it for good deeds to try to keep the world alive. And the player characters undid all of his work, made things worse. They finally killed a necromancer and realized that the whole time they're the bad guys. But the world is responding and the consequences are actually all based on their actions. There's also uh, the tricked by the villain storylines, yeah. which is exactly what this is. Ah, you have gathered the eight pieces of Uldragar which will release my true power. Oh yeah, by the way, thanks for being a patsy. Bye! Mm -hmm. Villains will do this, intelligent creatures will do this, if they can manipulate you, and if they're being the good guy all along, good guy, air quotes, big dick fingers, yeah. they're the ones that the players are going to trust. You earn that trust of a bunch of weebs, or, uh, you know, expendable flunkies who happen to be dangerous, send them off to do your bidding, and gosh it in a way that it's for the greater good and all of a sudden you have a free band of mercenaries that's just going traipsing around doing shit on your behalf and you don't have to really do anything I still like it. the one where um, and this was not one of mine but this is a friend of mine he was in the game and the enemy hired the player characters to go dungeon delving so the big bad evil guy realizes that the players are eventually getting a little bit too close to his plans for comfort so he sends an intermediary who hires the player characters to go clear out dungeon for X item. It doesn't matter what the item is. It doesn't matter what the item is. And then hires the players to go after another dungeon because they did such a great job. They go out for another X item. And then hire the players to go, you know, to this far off uh, countryside place and slay X monsters. And just kept hiring them to do job after job after job after job. And the players, you know, they were like, wow, they never considered that this guy kept giving them job after job after job and was paying extremely well and the big bad evil guy always seemed to be one step ahead of them no matter how much they did for this other dude who was promising and was helping them and come to find out near the asset one of the players was like where's this guy getting his funding Ding. where is he getting his money he keeps hiring us for all these jobs and it turned out the reason they were making no headway is this intermediary who was working for the big bad evil guy to hire the player characters to go do random stupid jobs that had no relevance to his plans whatsoever. And so the players were just distracted by the lure of money. And the big bad evil guy was still consolidating his power, which just made it harder for them to take him on near the end. 
because he just kept him distracted with garbage on the side. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, shiny, hey, the guys to go claim that keep in the name of, you know, such and such land. And they'd go out and clear the keep of the enemy bad guys. and be like, hey, we've helped out XX land. Meanwhile, back at the big bad evil guy's lair, he's just like, well, while those guys were busy for the last two months, I managed to open up a new trade route. <laughs> I'm getting more weapons now. I was able to build my giant war machine. Yeah, I was able to build my war dirigibles. Right, or, you know, oh, I've finally ousted the king of this land, so I, the throne is mine, I now have a taxpayer group that it was actually, funds me. It, it made the combat, uh, and the theme of our episode here, it did make the combat more engaging, because now the characters, and this is one of the things also that needs to be included, the players had a personal stake in it now. Oh, yeah. They've been deceived for months in game and almost like six months out of game, you know, sitting on the sidelines. They now had a personal stake in the big bad evil guy going down. That motherfucker. Yeah. I'm going to rip his throat out. Yeah, that the, motherfucker. Find a way to give a, a personal stake to the players and... They will take it and run with it. Like if you get that one player who writes like the eight-page background and includes like this wonderful family life and he adventures, you know, because his wife is sick and, well, he goes to visit his sickly wife, you know, halfway through the adventure. Well, the enemy's spies figure that out. The player now has, you know, all this in-game reason. You're like, well, while you were away, you went to go visit your wife, you left, and, um, well, you got nobody to come home to now. Big bad evil guy figured to solve that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, smoking ruins. Yeah, make it... Make like, it- glad... Uh, uh, what? It happened in Gladiator. That was basically what happened, right? Yeah. His that- family got torched to the ground. And he was taken as a, as a fighting slave. Yes, he was taken as a fighting slave. But give the, the players a personal stake. I'm just using the woman in a fridge thing as an example, but if somebody is like a thespian and puts that in their background, or if they're a power gamer and they have this one item they rely on a fuck ton, and the big bad evil guy realizes this, and he's like, all right, well, I'll just build a trap and put it full of rust monsters. Because fuck his family heirloom sword. I want to know that I'm always going to be better than him. So now the player has to wield a new sword that's not written into his background or he doesn't have superpowers and connection with. You've just made it personal. Right, he took away my family thing. No, fuck you, this is my family thing. Well, it's a power game, he just took away my best beat stick I could get for free. I mean, yes, but this this happens. Beyond that, you can go into, oh, well, I sent a displacer beast to take care of your family, so yeah, have fun with that. Have fun with that. Or your enemy turns out to be an illithid and well, your family's brains were delicious. Oh, Every or worse, last one of them. Or worse, they got the. Uh, you the never Cena, told me the... you had an eleven-year-old boy. Had. <laughs> or worse, they get infected and hatch into new illithids who are then sent as mooks, and all of a sudden, you don't realize it, but you're facing off against your blade slays your family. Mm-hmm. Okay. Damn, if that is not some psychological thine warfare. Thine blade shall slay thine family. No, it won't. I'm a paladin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Illithids would absolutely do this. Oh, yeah. Illithids, absolutely do this. Illithids are fucking deviously Wait, evil. A closing quote, because we're at time. Okay. They're just bodies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm glad he doesn't listen to us. Yeah. yeah. I'd probably get, like, a text... <laughs> Goblin with technology? 
Question mark? Question mark. All right. <laughs> so my final thoughts uh, for making combat more interesting, uh, we've covered these bases, but I will say make it personal, obviously, be clever about it, and be devious. And, you know, throw in a little bit of reality to it, you know, to make the encounters feel a little more realistic. Uh, that's my final thoughts. Game Goblin going back to my crypt. I would say that combat is excitement and we're not just talking you know roll the dice do the damage carry on that's my turn we're, we're talking you know you feel the, the sting of your blade slicing into his muscles you feel you know this that or detail you like details in combat make the difference clever players will observe and use them not so clever players will abuse them and not necessarily for themselves so adding those levels of detail will bring combat to life. That immersion is what's going to keep it exciting. As well as smart enemies and tactics will... Enemies are not all dumb, and they have survival instincts. I think that's my piece. Kazakhan, back to these guys. Alright, my final thoughts on this one are simple. Keep changing it up research what creature or characters you're using to fight with and when in doubt throw curveball Darth Blasphemous signing off you know there's two kinds of people in this world those that can extrapolate from incomplete data, 